We're here on the Run Beyond podcast with me, Jason Brooks, and my co-host, Jason Schlarb. And we're really excited today because we have a legendary Texan and the most interesting man in the world, Jay Clayberg. You don't always drink beer, but when you do, it's an IPA, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Infused with caffeine. Okay. <laughs> Followed by a cortada. I don't always <laughs> take shots, but when I do, it's a cortada. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Jay, we're going to talk today about kind of a broad narrative of all the things that you're into. You're part of the Run Beyond training community. So we brought you here because we want you to connect with the Run Beyond community and share your story as an athlete that uh, trains with us. You've also got this really cool and interesting background and it aligns a lot with some of the things that we're really passionate about at Run Beyond. So we kind of want to play on those themes. And so if I had to give if I had to give you a title, if I had to pigeonhole you into something, it would be a conservationist that really is passionate about connecting people to the outdoors. Is that fair? Yeah, that's a, yeah. a great elevator pitch. Okay, right there. all right, yeah. Well, so we'll go for the extended version <laughs> now because you are an entrepreneur. You've got a business called Explore Ranches, which connects people to private ranches and throughout Texas, New Mexico, California. Yeah, Colorado. Colorado. Maybe Costa Rica here uh, in a maybe. couple of months. Yeah, we're trying to expand. But that's yeah, awesome. That's, that's the idea. Okay. It started in Texas and it's fascinating in Texas because you all might not know, but 95% of the state's privately owned. And so getting to see these wild landscapes and ranches that often rival the size of state parks or even national parks in the mountain West is, is really cool. And, and then we don't all know about that. And so I've seen, you know, through the work that you guys do some really amazing ranches and there are a huge variety of opportunities from hunting axis deer on a beautiful central Texas ranch and sitting down with a world-class chef to prepare that food to, to just getting lost in a wilderness landscape. So that stuff's really cool. You work with the Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation, which has a sort of core mission of acquiring private ranches that are gifted to the state through conservation easements so that those can eventually be converted into parks. So you help with the kind of process of, of making those connections, getting the land, raising the funds, and, and then eventually turning it over to the Parks and Wildlife Department to run with it which is an awesome thing because we don't have like uh, the federal government granting huge tracts of land in the state and our, our parks are limited here and um, always at capacity. You're a filmmaker of sorts. So in 2019, you and a group of friends led by Ben Masters filmed a documentary, an adventure documentary in fact, that's yeah. a real category. Right. Check it out. <laughs> Where you you horseback rode, mountain biked, and canoed from El Paso to the Gulf of Mexico to highlight the environmental, political, and social impacts of building a border wall on the U.S.-Mexico border along the Rio Grande Valley, especially in Texas. Yeah. You guys got nominated for an Emmy in 2020 for that film. Yeah. That film is super fantastic. It was part of the South by Southwest film tour uh, here in Austin, which is a big deal. Check that film out. There's still a website for that film and all the work related to it. That yep. work kind of carries on and um, has become a great platform for promoting the environmental and social and political impacts of a border wall in Texas. And so that's that's really great. And then you're working on a new project for film. And I'll be interested to learn about your, your, your changing role in this, but deep in the heart, which is like planet Earth for Texas. What did we say? I, I guessed five. You said 10 eco-regions eco in Texas, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, depends on who you talk to, but okay. 10. All right, yeah. yeah, which a state that's the size of a lot of European countries. So it's um, <laughs> pretty big. It and has we, something for everybody. Yeah, from, from the coast to the mountains of West Texas, it's... It's really fantastic. I'm excited for that. That's coming out in 2022. Yeah, next spring. And there's some some exciting things coming with that that hopefully you all will get to share soon. But you got some trailers and stuff out. Yeah. And you've got a whole education component of that that maybe we'll get to today. That would be really cool bringing kind of curriculum about Texas's natural environments to K through 12 throughout the state. That'd be great. And then 
We're not done yet. You're, <laughs> you're somewhat of a political <laughs> activist. Um, so you and your wife are friends with Beto O'Rourke, and you've been you've done everything from help him campaign for his Senate bid, for his presidential bid, to just working on grassroots efforts to try to solve some of the immigration and other border policies that we have in the state. So you guys have been heavily involved in that, which is really great. You also do a lot with with food issues. I know last year you didn't get to run the Leadville Silver Rush, so you ran 50 miles in the dead of summer around Austin (laughs) to raise money for the Central Texas Food Bank to help out in the pandemic. So that was super cool. This year, again, you're going after the Leadville Silver Rush 50 miler. Yeah. And then if all of that wasn't enough, you're a husband and a father and a homeowner, (laughs) all of which are are huge time sucks. And and so what what drives your passion? Yeah, I mean, I think so much that. Yeah, I think you 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 hit on it early is um, this passion for connecting people to the outdoors and whether that's through film and getting people inspired by these, you know, amazing wildlife. You talk about 10 eco regions and, you know, part of what we hope will be the allure of this film is not just for Texans, but if you're living in Europe or you're in the Pacific Northwest, there's an ecosystem in Texas that probably looks a lot like something that's in your own outdoors. uh, That's not too far from where you live, whether it's a evergreen forests, which we have in East Texas, or, you know, high desert in West Texas, you've got part of the Great Plains up in the Texas Panhandle. Right. We're a coastal state on the Gulf of Mexico. We have the furthest coral reef in the Western Hemisphere, uh, fur- furthest Northwest coral reef in uh, Western Hemisphere, which is about 100 miles off of uh, the coast of Galveston. And so, making those connections, whether it's, you know, through film and a theater, or it's actually trying to get people out um, onto the landscape and connected with the people who are stewarding that, which in Texas, in many cases is private landowners, right? or through state parks um, in the public lands that, that you talked about, you know, something that I, I, I went to business school here in, in Austin. And one of my last classes was on social entrepreneurship and the the teacher like midway through one of the classes gets up and she draws three concentric circles and she says if you can figure this out then you've you're on like your your way to successful career and i don't mean monetarily but like something that's rewarding fulfilling and in the three in the three circles she wrote um passion skill and then compensation. And if you find something that you're passionate about that you actually are good at as well, that, and this is the biggest thing that people are willing to pay you yeah. <laughs> to do, uh, then it's sustainable, right? So you've got things that, that maybe are hobbies, but then if you can somehow figure out a way to make, which I think you all are doing, and I, I feel like the folks that you've had on the podcast and even people in the community with Run Beyond are like, have figured this out. And there's some trade-offs, right? Like what I'm doing may not be the most, you know, financially rewarding thing, but I certainly feel like um, the people that I am surrounded by and the community that we're all building, it, you know, makes it all worthwhile. Uh, and it's taken some time to, to get there, but I, I wake up every day feeling like, you know, my passion is the outdoors and to the degree that I can share that with, with folks on a daily basis, then, you know, I'm a happy, happy person. That's gotta be a good feeling, right? To wake up every day and you're like ready to jam. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, they're not all, I think the other thing too, is when you have, when you figured out part or all of that formula that the days that you do wake up that you're tired and you've got stuff that, I mean, I do the accounting for our business. I do a lot of planning, you know, there's things, you travel, I travel a lot and not all that stuff is romantic. Um, but like, I don't mind doing it because I know why I'm doing it. I always know why I'm doing this stuff. Even, even with running, like I remember, uh, you all may have touched on this in this podcast. I know you certainly touched on it last year uh with the previous um like 
iteration of, of this of this group or the, the foundation group about like really figuring out and Jason Schwab, I think you may have even talked about this in, in the last few episodes is like, you got to figure out why you're doing all of this, because if you're trying to be uh, elite, you know, professional athlete, that's one thing for me, like I, I'm not there. I won't, I won't be there, but I want to be like the best version of myself. And for me, the why in running is it gets me out. And it's also like what I've realized it's, it really is. And this sounds cliche, but it truly is a process. Like the, the run is the, that like celebration. It's like an expression of all the work that you've put in and all of the people like I cry, I've cried at the end of some of these races, not because I was first or, or even like in the top 10%, but just because like all of that work and all of the, the um, sacrifices that my family has made for me to be able to, to be there to finish and, and be healthy. It all sort of like it wells up. Um, and, and so to me, that's, um, you know, su- super rewarding and a fun way to kind of go through, go through life. Yeah. Jason, have you had profound race experiences like that? <laughs> you know, I was thinking when you were, you were saying that Jay, that, you know, I, I look back on my running career or experience and, you know, I, I had an experience just yesterday where after not running since I, I tore my ACL, my meniscus, uh, on the 14th of February, I did this run on this kind of weird, weird ass treadmill that has like a big bubble that holds you up and basically takes the the weight of your body off. So you can go down to like 33% body weight. And I did a four mile run on there at uh, slower than 10 minutes per mile. And it felt wonderful. It was awesome. And when I got into the truck, um, I was driving down the highway and all of a sudden I just... I just got really emotional and I, I, I literally like let myself and, and didn't hold it back. I just started to cry. And, you know, I, I, that experience and that, like how much passion and process and support and focus I've put into, you know, getting to a point where, you know, I'm, I'm miserably not even able to run, but like I, I got that done, that commitment to the process and, in, and, and like actually believing in it and being there and then like all the community that is around that, that was more powerful and that made me cry and, and, and had those emotions and that meaning to me that when I was in college, when I was running semi-professionally on the road and I would get to these big race events and my motivation and my process was basically to prove uh, to be competitive, to motives that were that 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 are like okay, but I wasn't as into the process. I was more into the ego. I was more into the result. I was chasing something that I really didn't put my hands around so much, and why I was doing that. And I didn't have that reaction when you know I ran you know fourteen some minutes for a five k or one you know the new AC's fifty mile for instance. Uh, you know, one of my first 50 mile races was USATF national championship. I didn't feel that way. And I feel like when you talk about that passion and skill, there was motives that weren't so great, weren't so awesome and weren't uh, really grounded and, 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 you know, a good reason to do it now that I realize that. But I, I feel that that's, that's my experience with, with that. And I can see with how you talk about what you're doing, Jay, and, and, you know, you understand where you where you want to be and what why you're doing it, and and both for both running and then also for your conservation work and and, and, and inspiring other people. So that, that that that's my little bit of uh, two bits that that made me. That's what I thought about when you when you said that, Jay. You know, just understanding that whole whole system and and what we're doing and why we're doing it. I think that that's crucial, and that's where we can actually manage to make change that that's worthwhile you know, do things that are worthwhile. Yeah. There's a, a book called grit and it's a study in perseverance basically. And like, can you identify the common characteristics of, 
individuals that make it through the SEAL pro, SEALs program or different, um, you know, challenging uh, programs or environments. And I think one of the things that the author pinpoints in like what makes grit, there are a couple of things. One is like being able to, when times get really hard and like you can't breathe, you're shivering. I mean, I had this, I had a, um, a race that I was doing up in Coeur d'Alene and I trained for like eight months for this, uh, uh, Ironman and I'd done one before. Like it wasn't, I wasn't a novice and I got about 200 yards in the water and all of a sudden I, I never do this. I started hyperventilating and there are people around me and they're kicking you in the face and all of this stuff. The water's freezing cold. It's right? cold. Yeah. And it's in the morning, right? Like you can't really see very well. And, um, and in that moment I had to figure out like, okay, do I just want to stop? Like I'm really close <laughs> to the start line. So I could just save myself, you know, 12 hours of agony if I just quit right here. And I went back through, it's almost like what you hear about flashbacks when you're, you know, passing away or people that have been near death. I like had this flashback of all of the hours that I had put in. And all of the sacrifices that my friends and my family and work and all of that had, had made for me to be there. Right. And then what I would feel like, I like fast forwarded to me five minutes from then sitting on the, on the side, on the beach, watching everybody, you know, swim away or me at the finish line exhausted and, you know, hugging my family. And it's like, that's, that's my why. Like I'm doing this for all these other people that have helped me to get there in this process, not because I want to win the race or like any of that stuff. And so for me, it's taken me a while to figure that out. Like that, that's the common element is that and hard work, like yeah. those two things. Yeah. Uh, but if you can somehow figure that out, and it probably has taken me till age 40 to like really truly figure out these are the things that I want to focus on. And these are when I'm like in the, in the flow, if you will, I'm expressing all of these like interests and, and then it just drives me to like work harder, not like more hours necessarily, but just put more, you know, efficient effort into, into all of these things and figure out how many hours do I have in the day? How can I still be present with my family and also, you know, do some of these things um, and try and do them well. So, yeah, that Coraline experience is a, a sort of a stoic tactic where um, you, you run through like a negative visualization process to just game out, like, what would it be like to not have this thing in my life, but also to look at how would my future self judge the situation, right? So that you can kind of understand how you might interpret and process that moment. Usually we do that on like a larger, you know, it takes a little bit more time, but to do it in a flash is... That's a, that's a great game time strategy. So running becomes this manifestation, this practical manifestation practice of this sort of philosophical passion that you have. Where is your conservation rooted? Where does that come from, that passion to get involved in or to see the value of the outdoors and how it can help people and help society? Yeah, so I grew up on a large ranch in South Texas, uh, King Ranch. It's about 825,000 acres. And I grew up around biologists. My father ran all of the agricultural enterprise there. And then we had operations and at, at one time all over the world. But it, when I was a kid uh, in Argentina and Brazil and other parts of the, of the world, Florida, Arizona. And so... I was in direct contact with land um, and wildlife, like literally where I, where my house was. And then also just in the day to day of what my father was doing. And so I came in contact with wildlife biologists and cowboys and um, uh, geneticists that were working on, you know, uh, livestock, improving the gen genetics of livestock, farmers, tractor drivers. And so for me, a lot of it was just osmosis. Like this stuff, this stuff matters. I can see that it matters. It's a big part of my life and my family's life. And then as I got older, you know, there was a part of me 
I, I left Texas to go to high school and college in part seeking, uh, intellectually, I'm very curious. And so, I, and I also like to be surrounded by people. This is not difficult, but people that are much, much smarter than me. Yeah. And so I wanted to be in those situations. And I've also just come to terms with this recently, like in the last few years is I wanted to separate myself from that identity because it's a big ranch and it's very right. historic. I mean, the King Ranch in Texas is like a legend. Everybody knows Everybody it. It's, knows in the, it. it's in the school books right. and all of that stuff. F-150 is a brand after, <laughs> like it's everywhere. And my name just happens to be one that people know, like my last name, not, right. not me. So I, I really wanted to like distance myself from that because I wanted to prove myself and my worth in the world. And as I, the, the further I kind of got away from that, I eventually, I, I spent some time in Brazil and I was in the Amazon and where I was, was imagine, uh, the Western United States in like the early 1800s. So you had a huge Western expansion. You had, you know, railroads were just starting to, to, to move westward. Towns were being built, total lawlessness, all that whole period from like 1880 to 1890 has been romanticized even till today, sure, right? Yeah. With all of these wild, wild west movies. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what was going on when I was, it's still going on, but imagine that, you know, in, in the Brazilian Amazon and seeing hundreds of hundreds of thousands of acres of forest being felled Yeah. for the benefit of progress and agriculture and all of this. And what I, what I kind of saw in that moment was, I have this heritage that's over a hundred now over 170 years old of land stewardship and conservation. So some of my ancestors were some of the first to really look at wildlife conservation in Texas and see it as um, a future asset. What wildlife being of more value at some point than even livestock, which in the early 1900s was like unheard of because you had market hunting. People right. saw wildlife as a resource to be taken and there really were no fishing game laws not until about the 1930s or 40s and this is really true of like all of the united states so if you can imagine today you see ducks uh out in the water you see elk out on the landscape you just go take them uh and that's part of why we no longer have the bison populations that we have or some of those species right we've all kind of heard those stories but for me that I, I visually saw that happening in the Amazon. And I thought part of the reason for that is the economy. It's kind of where they are um, in, in economic cycles. They go up and down. But also there's no t- real connection between people and that environment. And one, it's kind of far away from the major population centers. Yeah. And two, there's really not a mechanism like you have in the United States for like philanthropy or supporting. There's no local land trust or there's no, you know, parks and wildlife to support people. It's just not those mechanisms don't exist. And so that was in my mid 20s. I realized, look, this isn't my country. This is something that really has to come from grassroots. And and I feel like I can do do some of this work that's not being done here in, in Texas and sort of bring all of my experience growing up to, to the fore and really had the first chance to do that. When I was in business school, I went and worked in the Grand Canyon. Pardon the intrusion, but our remote hosting platform crashed in the middle of this podcast and we just never picked up where we left off on this conversation. We got into something else and we just ran with it. So we apologize for both the abrupt ending and the abrupt beginning of this, but please continue to enjoy this most amazing conversation with the legendary Jay Clayberg. Could win and be successful and you know go to the dark places in a hundred mile and persist but my motives in the past were were they they weren't the same as they are now yeah you know i didn't appreciate and understand you know the value and significance of being in the moment just in life in general but particularly 
for my career, you know, my motives were, you know, strong and passionate and intense. And, you know, I had unbelievable will to do that. But what changed in the last couple, three, four years is that my desire to give back and frankly, my, my selfish um, enjoyment of the process mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, starting to learn more about geology, uh, wildlife, um, you know, biology of, of the, the plants and, and, and then also culture and traveling around the world. It used to be traveling around the world because it was fun and really neat and different, but then it kind of shifted to something that was more about uh, understanding and then being able to maybe share that and, and change or do something that has goodness to it, mm-hmm. you know, in a big picture or even in a, a small picture within a small community like Ultra Trail or a small community of a place that I go visit and uh, going to Oman or, or, or a small place in China, something like that. And that value and that reward is so much different and makes me emotional and and uh, inspires me in a, in a longevity way that uh, making money, supporting my family, being competitive and winning or, or doing well, it, it feels completely different. And it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's a completely different job now, you know, and I, I wish I could have been that way back 10 years ago, 15 years ago with what I was doing. It's, it's a bummer. I had to wait till my forties, but I'm so happy that I woke up to that. And yeah. I feel that, uh, you know, people have that, that wake up of why and, and what they're doing and that motivation and, and, and the, the, the being able to be in the moment of the process because every step counts. I feel that that was a big life changer for me and, and, and being able to, to just have, a fulfillment that, that I didn't have before. And I, I see that in other people that are inspirational, like, like yourself and uh, other people that are, you know, completely different kind of line of work. And uh, yeah, I, gra- I try to f- surround myself with people like that now because I, I, I get it. So that was yeah, a and, and sidebar, but <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a more, I think it's, it's so hard. I mean, I see this even with my kids that, I think developmentally it's, it's hard for, it's hard to get there early on in life, like to get to the point where you actually take in and understand that when people say, you you know, you, if you, if you, if you give, you'll actually get more back in return. You know, you hear that um, early on, but it took me a while. I think there were, moments in my life where I, that sort of, I was, um, uh, made aware of, you know, there were, there were times where I might get involved in one project or another and really feel like this upwelling of, uh, satisfaction for, for having done something, but it was almost like project based, like, okay, well I did that. I'm going to move on. I really need to focus on my professional career or whatever. Uh, and, this, this may sound like dorky to say, but in, in, in business school, so I was like, oh, I was old for business school. I was 35 or something. And most, most of the people that are there are like in their late twenties. And in, in my last year, I took a class with a, a well-known and respected professor there. And one of the uh, assignments he gave us was write your, um, your obituary. And, you know, you're in, I'm in school with, with uh, kind of on a side note with with people who are extremely analytical. Um, They're engineers. They, you know, they had their, their summer internships were with venture capital firms and at banks and at Google and Apple and Facebook and all these other places. And I'm in the Grand Canyon. (laughs) (laughs) And I had one of my classmates ask me like where my Ranger uniform was uh, when I came back. (laughs) And so like in, in that assignment with the obituary, it really makes you think about like, okay, when, when I'm 85 or however old I, I am, like, what do I really want my like story to be? And it really makes you think, and I took it seriously. I think everybody else like thought it was kind of a joke, 
but it got me thinking about like, what's my, in business school terms, like what's my value proposition here? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not going to like out quantify, uh, or I'm not going to, uh, out bank somebody else. Uh, I'm not going to out Excel model anyone. Like that's just not where my skill set is or my passion. Like I'm just not that excited about that stuff. Yeah. But if I can, if I've, it seems like I've found something where I can be quote unquote, like competitive and, and, and give back, um, and potentially be good at, uh, this conservation space. And that's like a really general term, but if it's about trying to conserve open space for people and wildlife, and then all the natural resources that then fall from, from those, from that conservation, that's what I want to do. And I may fail, but at least I'm failing at something that I feel like I am, am, have a skill set for and am passionate yeah. about. And so. I think you've bridged this significant cultural gap we have in not just in America, but kind of in the West, or even like in the capitalist model. Where I, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I was really passionate about environmentalism, but I was also passionate about international politics, right? I had been to war. I had lost friends. I had seen horrific things that we were doing in the name of democracy and capitalism and to to help these other countries, right? Where like hundreds of thousands of Iraqi citizens are dying so that we can supposedly turn the country into a democracy and and we're up in arms in the country because a few hundred soldiers die in Iraq in a month while meanwhile in inner city Chicago twice as many kids are dying of like drug and gang violence and and police shootings and shit right and that's yeah. just one city in America yeah. and um so I I come into college with all this passion and I'm thinking I'm going to learn about environment and the politics. I had gotten into mountaineering and rock climbing and trail running and mountain biking when I was in the Marine Corps living in Southern California. And, um, and so I, I went to college, so I did undergrad and I thought I don't have the resources right now to like match my, my vision. So then I went to the LBJ school of public affairs. I thought I'll get a master's in public policy. I'll like really figure out how to how to take on big problems and solve them. And I was very idealistic and I thought I'm going to go into the federal government. I'm going to make change. And I got into this great postgraduate fellowship program. That was a career accelerator for the federal civil service. And I land in the forest service working for the Mount Baker Snoqualmie national forest near Seattle. And it was like, hit the fucking brakes like i just hit a brick wall i was like in the up so like i'm in middle management but i'm surrounded by people at the end of their career in the federal civil service who are like oh no dude uh we're not rocking boats we're not working hard like i've got three years and i'm retiring i've got so much time off that i'm working three days a week like don't come to me and ask me for resources whether that's my time or my non-existent budget. And I spent all my time playing shadow budget games to move money around to fund the, the, the people that worked in different departments. And then I'd write project proposals for projects that were never going to get funded. And it took me a year to figure out, like, oh, man, I really, the federal government is not the place to affect change. Yeah. So I pivoted. And I went to work for a, a solar energy company in the private sector. And I thought, in the private sector, you can get things done, right? And um, I got three years into that. And I was like, shit, I'm working 60, 70 hours a week. And I'm just feeding the corporate machine. Even though like the mission is to change the way the world is powered. And this would be great. At the end of the day, I'm working really hard to make really no progress, right? I'm working for the bottom line. I'm inside this massive billion dollar corporation. And I'm just a tiny, like I'm a tiny little cog in the machine. I'm not even like a big gear or anything. <laughs> and uh, and so then I found myself burnt out and jaded all over again. I was like, I'm not, at the end of the day, I don't feel like I'm materially making any kind of impact. And 
So what am, what am I going to do? How can I get out of this? And this is the paradigm, right? It's like, go to school, you get a job, and then you're part of the economy. And somehow you're, you're kind of like making a difference, yeah. but you're not really like, it felt like such a leap from all the work I was doing. I'm giving all my labor, all my energy to this business. And um, at the end of the day, I don't really see return on the investment of like, I want to make a difference. I was getting paid, mm -hmm. but at, at the end of the day, it wasn't money. Like I didn't, when you look at that Venn diagram, it was like really heavy on the, on the financial compensation side, but then fulfillment and, and like the joy of it wasn't there because it was also insanely stressful and pressure laden. And I achieved the same level of burnout I experienced in Iraq at the end of a seven month deployment where I was working 16 hours a day with no time off flying to 400 hours in six Jeez. months, you know, yeah. combat missions. And, and like, to, to achieve that level of burnout in corporate America was a was a real like oh shit moment for me where I thought I have to fundamentally reassess what I'm doing. Yeah. And I was just lucky that we had this business that the side hustle, Spectrum Trail Racing, that we had been working on, and I had somewhere I could go. And I've spent a lot of time since then trying to reorient my bearings around. What am I doing? How do I find passion? How do I feel like I'm making a difference? I've had all these moments of thinking I'm in this, in my own business, I'm not really doing anything either, but I've now been able to come around to like, when we produce a race, we're connecting people to the outdoors. We're giving them a safe space where they can overcome a lot of the barriers to entry to, to get into a wild outdoor space and, and have like a real deep experience connecting with nature, like running an ultra marathon or something like that. And then we're also through coaching, giving people further means to make those connections with outdoors. And I don't have to work all the time right? <laughs> right like i've let go of my attachments of like oh i need financial compensation i really just need less stuff right because that was the other thing at the end of my time with somehow i'm like mm -hmm. oh, six months six months away from affording a new tesla or like <laughs> doing these things to my house and i'll you know so that i finally come to that place as a stoic where i'm like my house is perfectly fine. There's mm -hmm. no reason I can't be happy with this house or the car that I'm driving. I can just get a bicycle, yeah. you know, or like, <laughs> I don't need the stuff, yeah. which means I don't need the money. And instead I can, I can work on finding things I actually want to do with my time. Yeah. And you've been, so you've been able to take, you know, and I can apply the skills, right? Like I, I still have all of the skills I developed through college and graduate school and analytical mind, the ability to like lead organizations, structure things, and I can apply all of that to building a business and to solving real problems, but I can do it where I pick how I spend that time and that energy yeah. and, and the kind of money that I make. Yeah. And I can make like you know, sweat equity investments and in what I'm doing and whether or not they pay off, not a big deal as long as I have fun along the way. Yeah. The, one of the things that, that I think maybe I, I read about as a good practice that I may have morphed into my own, um, uh, own way of thinking is I tried to imagine at one point I was kind of in a similar position. Uh, I was in the private sector and I just wasn't happy what I was doing. I, I couldn't really find purpose. I was doing actually more work in the community than I was in, in my actual like day, day job. And like to, volunteer work. Just like yeah, literally. Outside. Yeah. We started a, uh, yeah, we started a, uh, the, the first public arts event in downtown El Paso. Downtown El Paso was in the process at this point of, renovating a bunch of these old historic buildings and we really needed to drive people from that weren't living in downtown that were all spread out you know this is a town of almost a million people to downtown so they could see hey this could be really cool like this could be the center of our community yeah. in five to ten years and so how could we do that um in a you know relatively easy or inexpensive way for people and so we did we started this free um, it was a chalk art festival and it lasted like three days. And now it's like a, a music event and, and, and culture and 
all of that. So I was spending a lot of time on that, but I, I thought about like, what do I, what do I want my idea? What's my ideal day? My ideal day is I exercise early. I get up at this point. I didn't have any kids. I, I have children like to get up and take to school. I'm still married <laughs> to my wife at this point in my, with my future, uh, it, it, my future self is married to my wife and I go to work. I have like challenging projects to work on. They're all meaningful. I wasn't sure exactly what that was. Um, and, and really thought about later, like what's my skill set and what are the things that I've learned over the years? And anyway, just thought about like, who are the people that I'm surrounded by? Who am I working with? Who am I working for? Uh, how do I spend my time? And can I replicate that day? Not every day, but can I build a future for myself? And it may take me 10 or 15 years to get there, but where I'm actually able to have more of those ideal days than not. And I'm here like today, that's where I'm at, but it's taken me I don't know, probably 15 years to get there. And part of that has been also, I remember envisioning like the types of people that I wanted to be surrounded by and, and working with. And I'm, I'm there now, like it's taken some time, but it's people that are interested in the outdoors. It's people that are interested in their health. It's people that are intellectually interested generally in a lot of different things. Uh, the film stuff just kind of happened. But I had always as a kid, like I want, my mom was a photographer and that was kind of buried deep inside. But whenever uh, I met Ben Masters, he said, hey, come to a screening of a film that he had done. I was like, I want to be, I want to be involved in this. I don't know how, but I, I've, I was offered an opportunity and I just said yes. And like all the, a lot of the things that have happened over the years to, to get me here now have just been saying like, yes, to a lot of things. And that can get a little messy. I know, yeah. but saying now I have a little bit better filter. Yeah. To like, I know what to say no to, but if it feels right and I think I can handle it. And there's, you know, part of that thinking too, is like, what kind of, what kind of people are, are involved in this so that when it, when it does get difficult, I can like lean on them, whether that's, my own family or it's people that are on a team or whatever um, so that I don't get overwhelmed, but it's, you know, about surrounding yourself and, and being able to, I, I think what people don't realize is the people that you all have interviewed on this podcast. I think you all have probably found this as well is like, you're in a pretty good spot of like feeling that you're giving back and you're really like expressing um, what it is that you're, your, your best self. But it takes time in some cases to yeah. get like you got to go through some shit to get mm -hmm. there. And whether that's on a day to day basis of like training and, and or get, having a terrible job, but you have to do those things to, I think, get here. Have the realization. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Was there any point where you had a conscious realization that you needed to just be open-minded about what the future would hold. And that if you, if you keep going, you never know what kind of opportunity, like the river and the wall, um, or working, uh, like collaborating with better work might, might come up. Cause like for me, I've had a lot of anxiety at times about like, oh, how I'm going to make money in the future. Mm -hmm. Or like, am I really doing anything that's meaningful? And, and I, I've started to let go of that anxiety and realize that, if I just keep doing the things I care about and keep an open mind and look for the right opportunities to say, yes, things will come along in the future. And I don't have to have all of this anxiety that I won't, that I'll be destitute and homeless or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, I think like probably different points in my life where you kind of take a step off over the edge and, it, you land in a different job or now you're back in school or you took on a big race that maybe you were looking and you like do that often enough where you feel, I finally feel confident that, and for me recently it was leaving a steady nine to five job in conservation to pursue the, the work with Explore Ranches to pursue the last documentary and this documentary and not really knowing 
how the financial piece was going to work, but eventually realizing that being, um, getting wrapped up in that fear. Like I just wrote a sticky note on my, I have a little uh, like court board in my office because I was thinking about this about a week ago um, when I was running. It's like, what are you afraid of exactly? And for me, honestly, it's like failure. And, yeah. but, but that failure, it really, it's kind of like my own, of my own making. Like I'm, I'm thinking that, it, that there are all these huge consequences to, no, like people fail all the time. And yeah. I'm thinking about even the little things, you know, I'm doing some consulting work for a group out of Boise, Idaho, that's focused on raptor conservation. Well, the fear is really was around presenting some findings to them. And it was like, am I going to do a good job? Chances are I, I will because I generally do the homework to get there. When I've failed miserably in the past, it's when I wasn't prepared. Yeah. Well, I know enough now to like be prepared. And if I fail at something, I probably shouldn't be doing it or I've learned from that failure and I'll do better the next time. But that's like a it's easy to say, you know, to be like, well, it's like just be free about about life. But I do think there's something to that. Like I remember playing a game in in it was my last game in college and I played for a like division three uh, uh, football team and. I, I had a little bit of a moment before that. I was like, fuck it. I am just like, I'm not going to worry about all these like little bitty things that maybe I've messed up in the past or I've got to be here, uh, you know, in this coverage and all that stuff. Like I know this. And so I am just going to play like I have nothing to lose and I'm going to take some risks. And I had the best game of my career. And and, and I, I remember that till this day, it's, 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 I forget it sometimes, yeah. like just to let it go and like go with the process, right? You've done, you've gone through, you've done all of your homework, you've done the hard work and you're going to have to take, take some risks. And even for somebody who's in, you know, conservation and, and film, not necessarily like high finance type stuff. It's, um, it's, it's now become more, uh, it's become easier to take to take those risks. Nice. Tim Ferriss has the, you don't let uh, fear guide you. You know, I think that that's one of the big yeah. guides that we as Americans and, and uh, as a human culture, you know, do we, we let that fear be what dictates how we operate and where we, you know, you know, and play it safe. And, and I, I feel like a lot of people that create and do amazing things, you know, they broke through that process you know, of, of these constructs of what you need to do to, to be successful in this circle, but instead just branch out and do something different and, 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 and go for that passion and that, uh, you know, that flow state that you saw in that last game and you're, you know, playing, playing college football. That's, uh, I, I feel we could all learn to do that earlier. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think you hit on something too, Jason, which is, um, fear is this construct like it's only a reflection of something we've created in our mind some future mm -hmm. scenario that hasn't happened right we'll, we'll, like we're afraid of of something that is entirely outside of our control and we lose sight of what in the moment is in our control and we cook up this whole like oh my gosh yeah um, Tim Ferriss has this thing called a fear setting exercise. There's a TED talk he did about it, which is really a fantastic thing to do when you are like, I'm going to make a big decision. I'm really afraid of this. You can kind of break down what's going on in your mind. And, and like, you can deconstruct that fear construct mm -hmm. and, and then figure out how you get around it. Yeah. Really? Like that's, and so anyway, yeah, yeah. A lot of it's like the unknown, you know, going into that last film, um, in part as a character with the river and the wall. And like, I'd done some, you know, you said it was an, an adventure film and I'd done some, uh, you know, month long, uh, journeys before and felt relatively conf confident about like my mental and physical ability to, to go for, we ended up being, you know, on the river for about 70 days. 
but I was with people that were a lot younger than me, like by 10 years. Yeah. And there were, you know, a lot of unknowns and there was, there were definitely some disciplines like canoeing that I didn't really have any, any experience with. And you see that in the film, like we're all, we're all rowing like thousand pound canoes by ourselves. Yeah. And the very first day that we're on the, the uh, lower part of the, the Rio Grande right there, it's really the only spot for 200 miles where you have tourists. And so there's, they're all standing above on this bluff by Boquillas watching us this big, you know, fancy film crew that's going to be going down the river and all of us tump <laughs> our canoes, like with really expensive gear, like all of us just bail and right in front of everybody. And one of the people that's standing up on the cliff is, is next to one of our producers. And they're like, man, I, I don't know if these guys are going to make it to the Gulf. <laughs> and Austin, one of the uh, guys that we're with, who's a river guide, we all get out and we're just soaking and like, we're trying to assess what we've lost and everything. He's like, guys, if we can't make the first like five minutes of this trip, we have no business going into this 200 mile stretch where there's no way out. Like there's no right. helicopter that's going to get us. There's no boat that's coming for us. And there's actual rapids. There are rapids. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, it's, yeah, I think you just, you know, prepare for these things. And even with this next film, you know, I was asked to be the producer on it and I have no, I don't, I've never been a producer before, but I did some homework. I talked to some friends in the film industry and was like, what does this actually look like? Um, and then just had some really open conversations with Ben about what are, what do we expect of each other? What does that relationship look like? How can I, how can I be of service to this project? In thinking about like leadership and all of that, I, I think servant leadership is something that I uh, try and, and uphold. And so when you look at a situation in that way, there's not as, as much pressure to like step in and be, you know, the guy or the woman who's at the, at the front of the line all the times. Um, it's like, how can I, in this situation, how can I be, you know, of service, um, to this project or company or whatever it is that, that I'm doing that. And I think that helps, you know, quell some of that, that fear. What's Jay doing in 10 years? Like what is, um, what is, what is a big goal, a, a big project, a, a way to, um, that, that something that inspires you that, that maybe is something that uh, you haven't started or, or, uh, something that you would like us to aspire to in, in your line of work, Jay. Yeah, I think with with the company, you know, it's still Explore Ranches is a startup and we've been around since December of 2018. And one of our big goals, just because I think about wild spaces and acreage, um, was to, you know, really get into the millions of acres of access. And right now we've got a couple of million acres uh, that's accessible to, to people in the Western United States and Texas. And so I'd like to see, and we've got about 20 ranches on the, within the community in 10 years. My hope is, is it we're, you know, at 250 or so ranches, all of those are handpicked. And like, for me, that means that these are places, whether it's adjacent to glacier where you do have, you know, a lot of public, um, space, but if you're interested in taking a family there and you're not necessarily, you know, um, that, uh, skilled at camping and, um, and that kind of stuff that you've got a place to go that we've built that company up to a point where we're, um, sustainable and we're really making an impact both on access and we're, we're, uh, partnered with, conservation organizations in each of those regions where a percentage of our profits can actually go back into, into their work, which we're doing now, but it's on a really small scale. And I think on a conservation, on the conservation side, I don't know, I've been doing more, more consulting work of late. Um, as I mentioned with a group out of Boise called the Peregrine Fund, I'm doing still some consulting work. We're with Parks and Wildlife, they are celebrating their 100th anniversary in 2023. And so, you know, thinking about planning for that and public awareness and engagement and 
what are you actually trying to achieve and what will the state park system in Texas look like over the next hundred years yeah. as it reflects the state uh, demographics. And so really kind of going back to your point, like how can you work outside of the system necessarily, but with really passionate people that are in the system, but provide them with the resources and the, maybe some of the you know, skills and, or, or just manpower uh, or woman power to, to achieve some of these things. Um, so maybe d doing more of that work where my interests are, are varied, but they're, you know, relatively honed in on this, on this, you know, conservation space, but working with more organizations to do that work, whether it's in the U S or it's in central or even back in, in South America, um, I feel like I've got some experience now that I can, can lend to, to those areas. So, um, and, and maybe like, we're going to be finishing a book as part of this. So we're almost finished with it. it Texas A&M is going to publish it that's associated with the film. And it's, it's a natural history of, and a, like a behind the scenes of the making of the film of, um, of Deep in the Heart. I really enjoy that process of writing. And I think there's some amazing stories, not, not my own necessarily, but just these like, conservation stories that a lot of our generation don't really know, um, whether that's in Texas or that's in, um, you know, other parts of the world. And so maybe having published a, another book would be, would be fun. Yeah. So riffing awesome. on the Explorations idea, um, seems like, um, there, there, are, you could find lots of mechanisms to, to bring that, work like between nexuses between conservation with with public lands and private ranchers so, so we recently hosted the game that's our last man standing race last runner standing race yeah. at 88 ranch in columbus texas i don't know if you know 88 ranch but it has been it's a the family the kearney family has owned it since the original mexican land grant in 1830 and the backside of the ranch is part of the old San Angelo Road runs through there. I think I'm getting this right, where Santa Ana marched on the Battle of San Angelo. Mm. And they have a family cemetery that has like veterans of the Texas War for Independence buried there. And, and uh, anyway, they um, and um, Jim Kearney, the, the, the patriarch of the family, is actually a professor at UT now. Mm. He's a pretty interesting guy. He, he actually said he translated one of the, the I want to say, Clayberg family books from German to English. Wow. So there's like some old history stuff there. Yeah. Anyway, um, the the son, Will, he has gotten in with this organization down in South Texas that does um, like coastal re restoration projects mm -hmm. focused on prairie lands. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to partner with private ranch owners to help them go through the process of getting state funding to re to, to take their land out of monoculture agriculture yeah. and restore prairie designation and prairie ecosystems that have been decimated by monoculture agriculture. And one of the big things is that it will help preserve coastal wetlands and that whole system that we have along South Texas yeah. that, yeah. that, that sense white Europeans came here has been at, you know, first it was cotton and now it's other, uh, it's corn and rice and, and rice or, yeah. or cities. Yeah, yeah. There's only 2% of that coastal prairie left. Right. And so, so thinking about how, um, you can also like introduce private landowners to these conservation programs and, and, and how to work on those kinds of things could also be a cool. Yeah. Idea. It's like, um, almost like, uh, the matrix is like we, we've, we, we've the, you know, we talked about the Venn diagram, like the personal Venn diagram. Right. And then I feel like I'm getting to a state where that, you know, above that is this, uh, in the fourth dimension, like another Venn diagram that is those, those passions, uh, now exist as explore ranches and the conservation piece. And then the people that are a part of, all of that, that make all that stuff work. And so for us, and you very, you could be talking about Caesar Claybrook Wildlife Research Institute, which is out of Kingsville and has a native seeds program that, that 
uh, works on that kind of um, conservation work. But that's my, you know, talk about 10 years, we're starting to do this. Our goal is to connect all of those worlds with, you know, uh, funding is kind of a part of that, but it's actually through a private sector model, not necessarily through nonprofit. Um, and whether you're uh, uh, a wildlife researcher or you're doing, you know, this kind of um, like prairie restoration work, whether you're a landowner who may be in the future carbon sequestration and, and getting paid for that restoration work, that's already happening on the coast now. There's a carbon market that's out of Rice University to pay landowners that have coastal uh, prairie and wetlands for their, like you could even go on right now and buy credits that then compensate the landowner for keeping it in its native state. That we come in with this kind of overarching sustainable model for, for these landowners. And then as a, whether you're Jason Brooks and Jason Schlarb who have a company that's focused on connecting people with running uh, opportunities outdoors. And, you know, we're doing some of that with um, folks that are fishing guides, like connecting them with these properties, or we're connecting our guests with conservation efforts and giving back in, in some way. So like trying to create an ecosystem, if you will, that um, replicates, you know, what your, your friend is trying to do there, but on a much larger yeah. scale. So you bring rep recreation as an economic opportunity, then you bring sort of like sustainable land management as an opportunity. It's almost like a crowdsourced model. Of exactly. Like if I want to, if I want to buy into some sort of sustainability initiative, I can do that. And that money goes to a rancher or farmer who is working on the ground to actually manage the environment. Yeah, exactly. And and part of our incentive for all this and working with my uh, co-founder, Allison Ryan, one of her, you know, th the impetus for part of this was she's the next generation landowner out in West Texas. And she's trying to figure out how do I hold on to and steward this place during my lifetime and beyond. And, you know, how do you, uh, financially incentivize that kind of stewardship because one of the biggest challenges that we all face with uh, open space is that it ends up being fragmented because people just can't afford to to hold on to right. it whether that's with estate taxes or just you know ongoing uh, management and so if you can look at sustainability holistically at uh, you know the resources under the ground which is oil and gas traditionally water air now with wind turbines, solar uh, with uh, solar farms, and then wildlife is another asset and grass for livestock, uh, soil for farming. And what we're trying to bring to that equation is the recreation piece is like, there's value in that. There's value in what you just have in sustaining this. And in a lot of cases, that next generation actually lives in cities. And so how do we engage them back with the property. And one thing that most of them know is the sharing economy. And so how do we like get them back involved through Explore Ranches in hosting people and connecting with, with folks and what they may have grown up with and thinking like, this is cool, but nobody else thinks it's that great. Um, and kind of inspiring them to think differently about land stewardship. Awesome. That's fantastic stuff. <laughs> that, that concept's amazing. And, you know, I, the run around the world series, a film series that we uh, I've done in the past, we went to Ted Turner's property in um, uh, South of Trinidad, Colorado, and, and they specifically wanted us to come out there and recreate on their property to, you know, get different kind of interest in their land to uh to you know better use it and better fund and to 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 be able to forward progress their conservation efforts on their land and uh that yeah. those kind of projects are amazing jay i appreciate your work on that stuff man that's that's incredible yeah it's it's fun you, you hear people say like i never uh work a day in my life because i'm so you know passionate about what i do and, right. I, and I feel like that's obviously like you know, it, it's not every day and it's a struggle, but I feel like, um, you know, I feel fortunate to like work with all these people and 
that they've opened up their gates to us. Like that's a huge, um, uh, level of trust that, that, um, and then, and then they trust us to, to speak for them and like tell their story. And even like the Turner group, I mean, they've been great to work with. And, um, I mean, I think the thing that we've, that's really been rewarding about it is all, almost all of these landowners have that same conservation ethic and, I kind of grew up around it. And so I think of it as a given, but that's not necessarily a, a given. Like you own land and you can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. And you look at, at Texas, you look at, you know, a lot of places out in, in Colorado, I would, I would argue, you know, a lot of the United States and you have, you know, a majority of um, people that, that, um, that are landowners that are really doing good um, work with their own money and they're supporting conservation efforts and doing all of this stuff. And, um, to the degree that we can make people aware of that and, and give them an opportunity to give back. Um, you know, that's kind of what we're, what we're all about. It's fun. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Let's champion those people. And those. So, so I want to be mindful of your time because yeah. you are, <laughs> as yeah. I noted at the outset a busy man for, for people that want to follow what you're doing, um, and, and all of these worlds, how, how can they follow you? You're on social media. You've got some websites, film stuff going on. Where, yeah, I uh, am on Instagram, on, uh, uh, not on a regular basis, but I uh, am on Instagram as Jay Clayberg. And then uh, the film is uh, deep in the heart, wildlife.com. Uh, we're actually set up as a, uh, we have a, a nonprofit um, fiscal uh, sponsor, okay. um, a group called uh, Texan by Nature. And so if people are interested in supporting that film and all the education, we're, we're writing some lesson plans and uh, going to be providing parts of that film to, to school kids K, K through 12 uh, for free um, next year when the, when, the, um, when the film launches. And so we're still raising funds to, to be able to develop all that stuff. Uh, so um, Explore Ranches is at exploreranches.com. And, um, and then some of the work that I've been doing with Texas Parks and Wildlife Foundation is, is they, they do great work all over the state and that's tpwf.org. Okay. Deep in the heart is on Instagram also, right? Yeah. We're on Instagram also. Yeah. You can follow along there. Some awesome really amazing photos, photography. Ideas. Yeah. And like behind the scenes, we're actually shooting, uh, here in Texas, there's a whole system of springs uh they were they're actually all over the state but yeah. there's a specific aquifer system in particular is... in, in and around the hill country right. um and so we're going to go shoot one of those springs it'll be our last shoot so we'll be diving here in a couple of weeks um and doing a bunch of underwater stuff and that'll kind of wrap up the the shoot phase so yeah instagram um deep in the heart and uh just appreciate y'all having me on and i, I love the conversation it, it was it was awesome Yes, yeah, a lot of fun. A lot to learn there. Thanks so much, Jay. Yeah, thank you. Thanks, man. 